Well, what a beautiful job from Reggie, and great to see that choir up there, and, and things getting back to some little semblance of normal, isn't it? It's great. It's great. Well, I've been having a lot of trouble with my, with my foot. I don't know if you noticed me walking funny. Um, I'm not in trouble at home. I'm just having trouble with my foot. And so anyway, so when I went on my trip this last week, I left early and went down to Atlanta, went to a doctor that I've been seeing for about 15 years, and, and I asked him, you know, what he thought really was going on, and because I got a toe that I, I decided it's definitely a Tennessee toe because like the volunteers, this never lined up where it's supposed to be doing what it's supposed to be doing. I, I'm trying to hand off and it's veering wide right. And it's just, it's amazing how something so small can cause you so much pain and problems. And so anyway, so I saw the doctor and, and he explained to me in great detail what he thought was causing this. And I said, I'm just trying to process it all and understand. And I said, well, is, it a, is that an injury? He says, no, it's not an injury, it's your age. And so that was, you know, that was, uh, that was really encouraging to hear for sure. And so I said, I said, well, what do you mean it's your, my age? And he says, it just, this just sometimes happens to people, you know, when they got your condition and it can just, it just happens. And so anyway, uh, I, I think, and I realize there's people in this room that are literally twice my age, but uh, I don't know that I'm tough enough to live as long as some of you have, because uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not for weak people, is it? And so I think about just all the problems that we, that we have with our, with our body, aging. And none of us, I mean, we find ways to treat the symptoms. Sometimes we find ways to cure the disease, but ultimately, all of us have to face death. Nobody's ever found a way to escape it until Jesus came out of the grave three days after being crucified. And his resurrection is what gives us hope. And today that's what I want to talk to you about is the hope that we have because of his resurrection. We've been walking through Jesus' final talk with his disciples before the crucifixion. And today and next Sunday, we'll, we'll finish up that, that whole passage of Scripture where Jesus was talking with his disciples. But in today's passage, John chapter 16, verses 16 through 24, Jesus is speaking about his resurrection and his crucifixion. And he's explaining it to his disciples and trying to prepare them to understand what they're about to see. You know, there's times in life when we look at something, but because we lack knowledge or expertise or experience, we don't really know what we're looking at. I'm not a car person myself. I know there's plenty of people in this room that have, that have helped me over the years that realize that I'm definitely not a car person. And I take my car and, and it makes a sound and I see something and I have no idea what's going on. I'm looking at the exact same thing the mechanic's looking at, but I have no idea what it is that I'm, that I'm looking at. I think of times that the doctors have brought x-rays into the room to show me, and I had no idea what, what I'm looking at because I don't have the knowledge, the expertise that they have. We're both looking at the same x-ray, but they have been trained how to read it. They know what they're, what they're seeing. In the same way, you know, we can misread life. We look at the same circumstances and see it from two very different perspectives. 
And sometimes it's not just a matter of perspective. Sometimes it's a matter of knowing what it is that we're looking at. Jesus is about to explain to his disciples that he, they're going to see him crucified and they're going to weep and they're going to mourn because they don't understand. But three days later when he comes out of that grave, he says that their sorrow will be turned to joy, to joy. When we look back on the crucifixion of Christ, we realize what he accomplished for us. And when we see the resurrection, we know that he gave us hope. And so today, as we look at a time in the disciples' life where they had not yet seen the resurrection, they were still awaiting even the crucifixion. I hope for those of us that are still waiting for things, like the return of Christ or the salvation of our children. That as we put ourselves in the shoes of the disciples, that it'll help us to look at things through eyes of faith with spiritual understanding. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Would you join me in standing as we read the word of God together? John chapter 16, beginning in verse 16. Jesus said, a little while, and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me and because I'm going to the Father. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me and again a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from me. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you've been asked, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Let's pray together. Father, we pray today that you give us joy. Fill us with joy. Joy that comes from understanding the gifts, the promises that you have for us. Help us to live in the present based upon our faith in the future. Lord, speak to us through this passage. And Father, I pray right now for every person 
that's here that's sick, that's hurting, that's in pain, that's lonely, that's stressed. Father, give them hope. Give them hope. For it's in your son's name that we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the Lord reveals to his followers in advance what he's going to do. You and I can reveal in advance what we plan to do, but of course the Lord who's in control of everything and cannot be thwarted can reveal in advance what it is exactly he is going to do. This is the case with Jesus speaking with his disciples. He's trying to prepare them for what's about to come. So Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be crucified and rise from the dead before it happened. He told them before it happened. So important for us to realize that Jesus was not a victim of the Roman Empire nor the Jews, but Jesus willingly laid down his life. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew why. He was in complete control. And yet because it was necessary accomplish our salvation, our forgiveness, and our restoration to the Father. Jesus willingly went and he laid down his life. And because he was in control and because he knew what was about to take place, he's able in advance to explain it in detail to his disciples in order to prepare them for what was to come. So Jesus says in verse 16, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Well, as we read that statement, it's a little, uh, it's a a little hidden uh, what Jesus is saying here. It's not, not very overt. You say, well, you can't blame the disciples for not understanding a statement like that. Well, we look back through the gospels and we see that Jesus has already in great detail explained what it is that he is talking about. In fact, we know that through the Gospels, there are at least three occasions that are recorded. Doesn't mean there was only three times that Jesus set his disciples down and explained to them about the crucifixion. Because remember what John said at the end of his Gospel, he said there are many more things that Jesus said and did. And I suppose if all of them were recorded, the world wouldn't contain the scrolls. So we don't know everything that Jesus said to his disciples, but we do know that there were at least three times prior to this that he sat them down and explained to them that he had to be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21 says, from that time, from that time, meaning that Jesus didn't just tell them once, but Jesus began to teach them about this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must, that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus didn't just say he was going to die. He said how he was going to die, who was going to orchestrate that and even named the day on which he would rise from the dead. You and I look back in hindsight and, and, It's easy for us, I think, to criticize the disciples and say, well, why didn't they have faith? Why didn't they believe? Why didn't they understand? But uh, they didn't have 2,000 years of church history. And they hadn't been in church 40, 60, 80 years like some of us have today. And so they're hearing this for the very first time. And by the way, prior to this, no one had ever risen from the dead. 
And so I don't think we want to get too hung up in why they didn't understand and embrace what Jesus was saying right away. But he clearly explained to them that he was going to die, how and where, and three days later he was going to rise from the dead. The other instance in which Jesus explained this is recorded in Matthew is in Matthew 17. It says, and they were gathering in Galilee, and that's, that's the northern region of, of, of the promised land there in Israel. Galilee, Jesus said to them, the son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. The Bible says in the last part of verse 23, and they were greatly distressed. Well, they were greatly distressed because they didn't understand. If they had known what Jesus knew about the crucifixion, if they had known how necessary it was and what it would accomplish, if they had known that three days later he would come out of the grave, they would not have been in distress. They looked at the crucifixion, the rejection of Jesus, and it tore them up inside. Because they didn't understand what God was going to do through Christ. Matthew 20, verse 17, this is the third instance that Matthew records for us of Jesus explaining this to his disciples. It says, and as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. So Jesus told them exactly how he would be executed and named the day on which he would rise from the dead. We know because of Matthew's gospel there were at least three times that Jesus pulled his disciples aside and clearly explained this to him. And so now in his final talk, trying to prepare them for the cross, Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. Meaning that he would be buried, but shortly after he would rise from the dead and they would see him. So Jesus told his disciples he was going to be crucified and that he would rise from the dead. And he told them before it happened. You know, the Lord tells us things in advance to give us reasons to believe and trust in him. This is why God tells us things in advance. You and I can, can tell people what we want to do, what we hope to do. But there's so much in life that we're simply not in control of. And yet God, when he says, on the third day, that he would rise from the dead, he's not telling us what he hopes, what he wishes for, but what will happen with all certainty. John tells us about when Jesus was talking to some of the Pharisees and he revealed to them in language that they didn't understand that he would rise from the dead. He had told them that tear down this temple and he would rebuild it 
in three days. And here's what the Gospel of John says about this in John 2, 22. It says, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. It says that at the time, they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, but later they remembered what he said. And remembering that he had said this in advance of it happening, they believed in the word that he said. They also believed in, in Scripture. You see, God is calling us to be people of faith. He's calling us to believe. He's calling us to act on our belief. But he's not calling us to a blind faith. He gives us reasons to believe. The Bible says, in fact, that's why Jesus performed the miracles that he did, was to give them signs so that they would know that he truly was the Son of God. This was the reason for the miracles, the signs. They're identified this way. In fact, John even numbers them. It says, and this was the second sign that he did. These signs were so that people would believe. And in the same way, God tells us in advance what he's going to do so that we might have faith and believe in, in him. Someone might say, well, living in the first century Roman Empire and knowing Jesus' conflict with the Jewish leaders, any rational person probably could have guessed that Jesus would ultimately be crucified. Well, that might be true, but nobody would have guessed that three days later he'd walk out of the grave alive. And Jesus foretold his resurrection. So when we look at Jesus' resurrection, it gives, us, it gives us hope. It gives us reason to put our faith in him. And one of the things that we see is the disciples don't understand that Jesus tries to explain is that the Lord, he reveals things to us one step at a time. It says in verse 17, so some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will not see me? And again, a little while and you will see me. And, and because I'm going to the Father, Jesus had said that earlier, by the way, in the gospel. All these statements they were struggling with. So it says, so they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. They, they, didn't, they didn't fully understand what Jesus was, was telling them. And by the way, if we go back through the whole Bible, I think we'll see that this is the case. That Jesus and the Father give us enough information to believe and trust in what they're generally going to do, but they don't answer every detail and shed light on every curiosity. Think about Abraham who took his son up on the mountain and his son looked around he was an observant boy. And he says, well, here's the wood and here's the fire, but where is the lamb? And what did Abraham say? He didn't go into a long diatribe about the crucifixion and what was to come. He didn't know all of that, but he simply said, 
Son, God himself will provide a lamb. Abraham knew enough to have faith in God. When I go back and read the Old Testament prophecies about where the Messiah would be born, how the Messiah would be received, how the Messiah would live, it all lines up perfectly with the life of Jesus. And yet I don't think any of us could go back and read just those Old Testament prophecies if we didn't know the New Testament and be able to see with the clarity that we see reading the actual New Testament description of those events. And so Paul described this in this way in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So Jesus' disciples, they they don't fully understand. They know a little. And yet after seeing Jesus come out of the grave and teach them, they go on to be the leaders of the early church. They go on to be his apostles spread out all over the world, communicating the gospel message. And you and I, when we, when we read about things that have not yet happened or we have not yet experienced, in the same way we often don't fully understand. When we read about, about heaven, and I, sometimes I hear songs about heaven, I hear people talk about heaven, and I think, oh, I know that everything that the Bible reveals to us about heaven is accurate. But I believe that heaven is so much more than God has already told us about because everything else that he did all throughout history, when he revealed something in advance, he just gave clues and he gave little pieces of information so that we could have faith and so that we could believe. But yet when it actually came, there was so much more that God was doing. You say, why does God work in that way? I think one of the reasons is because you and I couldn't handle it if he revealed everything to us in a moment. Jesus had already told his disciples three different occasions that he was going to be crucified and he was going to rise on the third day. And yet still, right before, as he's given his final talk and he says, a little while you will no longer see me and then a little while and you will see me and they still can't piece it together. They had to see and experience. You see, they didn't understand that it was necessary for Jesus to endure the suffering of the cross. But it was. It was necessary for Jesus to endure the suffering of the cross for us to experience the joy of the resurrection. And so Jesus, in verse 19, responds to them. It says, Jesus knew what, that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. When I think about the disciples who did not understand how to view the cross, Jesus said, when you see me come out of the grave, that's when you're going to rejoice and you're going to understand. It reminds me that our 
Our false perceptions often lead us to respond in a wrong way. We look at a situation and we don't know what we're seeing. We all, we all see the same details, but we don't know what they mean. There, that day in Jerusalem, when Jesus was crucified. I don't think anybody looked at his body on the cross and thought, what a beautiful demonstration of the love of God. And yet now, having understood what Jesus accomplished for us and why he went and surrendered in obedience, we now know that it was a beautiful demonstration of the love of God. Knowledge, understanding, and wisdom enable us to view a situation differently. We need to be careful because not all perspectives are the same. There is an absolute truth God understands it, and he's revealed it to us. And Jesus, on this day, was trying to help his disciples understand how to view the cross. That he were to view it through the eyes of his resurrection. You will weep, you will relent, you will mourn, but three days later, when you see me again, your sorrow will be turned to joy. You know, the world rejoiced at the crucifixion of Jesus. That's what he said about this. He said in verse 20, but the world will rejoice. In Colossians, the Bible speaks about this. It says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So the Bible describes here what was accomplished through the death of Jesus, that he made payment for our sin. The Bible says literally that the, the record of debt that stood against us was, was canceled. It was, it was wiped out. And then listen to verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, putting them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, Jesus said the world would rejoice. They rejoiced because they didn't understand that in that moment he was defeating everything that they stood for. They thought that they were putting an end to Jesus of Nazareth. But instead, they had just lifted him up for the world to see his glory as three days later he would come out of the tomb. The world rejoiced at the crucifixion. The disciples would be sorrowful because they didn't understand. But later the disciples saw the risen Lord and their sorrow was turned to joy. Jesus uses the metaphor of birth to speak about how his resurrection would outshine the horror of the crucifixion. So he says in verse 21, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being 
has been born into the world. So also you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Jesus said that just like a woman that goes through the pain of labor when she sees her child and holds it for the first time, she forgets about the pain she's just endured. And Jesus said, though they would suffer watching him die on the cross, when they saw him come out of the grave, their sorrow would be turned to joy. There's a lot of things that we endure in this life that later we'll never think about again. Paul described it this way in Romans. He said, for I do not consider that the sufferings of this present time are worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, on the the day that Jesus came out of the grave, it changed absolutely everything. So here's what Jesus said in verse 23. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now... You have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. You see, Jesus told his disciples, he said, up until this point, you haven't asked the Father anything in my name. But that day as he died on the cross making payment for our sins, canceling a record of debt that, that he didn't know. Jesus took on the role of mediator between us and the Father. And that's why we pray in his name. In Hebrews chapter 4, it describes this relationship. It says, since then, we have a great high priest, and that's Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession." It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so the Bible says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus From that moment that he went to the cross, became our great high priest. That's why he said to his disciples, he said, up until this point, you haven't asked anything in my name, but now ask in my name. Whatever you ask, you'll receive, that your joy may be complete. You see, even in prayer, Jesus gives us joy. I believe we live in a time where uh, so many people are trying to take the teaching of the Bible and fit it in with whatever else they want to embrace, whatever else they want to believe, however else they want to live. The crucifixion and the resurrection, however, demand that we respond. You see, Jesus said that he would be crucified and three days later he would rise from the dead. 
And then his disciples bore witness that this happened. They recorded what they saw and heard. And they spent the rest of their lives proclaiming this message to anyone who would listen. In fact, all but John died a martyr's death because they would not stop telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection requires that we decide whether we believe or not. Either Jesus came out of that tomb or his bones are still there. It's one or the other. And if Jesus came out of the tomb, as he said, then he must be God. No one else has ever overcame death. And having seen Jesus explain in advance what he was going to do, having looked at the track record of God and his prophecies coming true, it gives us reason to have faith and to have hope in God. The resurrection is why we have hope. And so today, today I want to invite you to put your trust in him. I'm no prophet, but I know just because of the reality of life, there's a lot of people in this room that over the next five years, I'll preach your funeral. It's a reality. And so I want to encourage you today to put your faith and your trust in God so that your hope will not be in beating death, but that your hope would be in receiving eternal life from the Lord. You see, he said that just as he came out of the grave, one day he's going to return and the dead are going to rise with him. Say, Pastor, it's, it's a little hard for me to believe that one day I'm going to be resurrected out of the ground. Well, having seen Jesus resurrect himself, doesn't that give us reason to believe that he can resurrect us as well? We need to put our faith and our trust in God. He has given us every reason to believe that he is able to keep all of his promises to us. When Jesus died on the cross, it was to pay for your sin. And when he rose from the dead, it was so that we might have the hope of also being raised from the dead. So today I ask you, do you believe? Maybe today for the first time you've come to understand what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross. And if that's you, in just a moment, when we begin to sing, would you pray and speak to God? You see, the Bible says this. It says, whoever calls 
on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To call on the Lord means to pray, means to talk to him, means to ask him for forgiveness. And so if there's never been a time in your life that you've called on the Lord, you told him that you believe and that you want to be forgiven, would you just do that today? You don't need some kind of special formula or spell. You can just speak to God from your heart. He already knows your thoughts. Just in your own words, tell him that you believe. Tell him that you understand that you've done things wrong and you need to be forgiven. Tell him that you want to receive the gift that he has to offer you of eternal life. For those of us that have already received this gift, I find that it's so easy to become distracted, to become discouraged. It's so easy to slip back into the old way of living. I think that's why the Bible says we're not to forsake meeting together so that we can stir one another up to good works. Because it's so easy to drift away from what you're supposed to be doing. So for those of us that are saved today, would you just put your complete hope and trust in God? Your complete trust and hope. So in a moment, when we sing, I want to invite you to make your decision. You can make it right there in the pew. You can come and kneel at the altar and people will gather around you and pray with you. Or if you want me to help you make your decision, you just walk right up to me and I'll pray with you. I'll encourage you. I'll answer whatever question you have to the best of my ability. But Jesus has done everything necessary for us to have peace and for us to have hope. The only question is whether we will receive it by faith or not. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that our complete trust would be in you. I pray if there's any person here that's, that's never called upon you for salvation, I pray today that they would, in prayer, ask for forgiveness and express their belief. Lord, for those that are struggling financially in relationships with their health, whatever it may be, Lord, I pray that you give them peace. I pray that you give them hope. I pray that you encourage them. Lord, may we live daily in hope and joy because of the resurrection, which in your son's name that we pray, amen.